Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, this morning we want to just remind us of the catalyst verse that has really set up this entire series. It's personal. Um, we sang about it actually this morning in our worship ser- songs. But here it is, Micah chapter 6, verse number 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That verse has shaped our vision for Grace Crossing Church. And here's our vision that we believe God has, His dream for this church. We see an emotionally healthy church filled with fully surrendered Christ followers whose hearts are set ablaze to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And here's our mission at Grace Crossing Church. It's been our mission from the beginning, though we've reworded it a little bit, but we exist to disciple, mobilize, and empower those whose hearts aspire to follow Jesus. So if you want to hear more about those uh, particular topics, you can go back and listen to our podcast, which you can find at iTunes. You have to register at iTunes and subscribe to Grace Crossing Church, and there you can access uh, Grace Crossing Church's podcasts uh, directly from iTunes. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to continue our unpacking of our guiding values. We talked about three last weekend. First of all, we talked about our guiding value of a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview really begins and ends with God. The late A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Which means our vision and our view of who God is shapes our understanding and our view of ourselves and it also shapes our understanding and our view of others and the world around us. We need a very clear biblical understanding and a good theology of who God is if we're going to see ourselves accurately and we're going to see the world around us accurately. We then talked about our second guiding value, which is humble dependence. It is about recognizing that we can do nothing apart from God. We are nothing without God. And one of the ways we practice humble dependence here at Grace Crossing Church is our corporate prayer times, one coming up this weekend, the first of every month, one prayer, uh, this coming Wednesday from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. We want to encourage you to make it personal. We want to encourage you to write down and bring with you those things that you've been praying about and praying for. And we want to make this one prayer a personal opportunity to bring our needs individually and then collectively as a body to the Lord. And so we want to encourage you to mark your calendars, make plans to join us this coming Wednesday from 7 to 8 o'clock. The third value we talked about last weekend was the value of spiritual maturity. And here's the verse that we use where we kind of left off last weekend, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation, that is cultivate it, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity. I love that in the Amplified because I think what it says is exactly what God's heart is for all of us. God gives us this free gift. And then God encourages us and invites us to, by full surrender and full submission to Him, to give our total being, our total person, back to Him. And really the summation of your total person can be defined with three words. Your time, your talents, and your treasure. All of us have the same amount of time 
in every single day. I hear people often talk about there is not enough hours in the day. I don't think we put enough day in our hours. I don't think we often think about how we schedule and steward that thing that's God's gift to us is our time. Let me say it this way. Putting our schedules together is not about accomplishing what we want to accomplish. It is about becoming the person God wants us to be. Let me say it again. When we schedule our time and we schedule our calendars, we often think about what it is we're trying to accomplish. What we should be thinking is who do I want to become? And then build your schedule and build your calendar more around what you want to become and not what it is you want to accomplish. I think one of the holiest things that we can do in life is to come before God with an open calendar and a surrendered heart. It's one of the holiest things that we can offer to God. Our time. God wants us to grow in it. Our talents. God wants us to take those gifts that he's given to each of us, those talents that he has inherently placed in us. There are things that you can do I could never even try to do, and I shouldn't. There are things God has hardwired me to do, a few of them, that I should be spending my energy doing because it brings glory to God and it honors his name in my life when I do it. And then our talents. I love Jesus' reminder and really his words to us in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 21. He says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Wouldn't you like to carry a few hundred dollar bills like this around? Here's what I think Jesus is suggesting. Jesus is suggesting that our affections will always follow our investments. Just as surely as the needle of a compass follows north, our hearts and our affections will always follow our treasures and our investments. Let me illustrate it. If this week you decide to take the bulk of your shares and place them in Apple's corporation, you know what will begin to happen? Your ears will tune up every time you hear Apple mentioned in a news report. Every time an article comes your way about Apple, you're going to all of a sudden read it. You're going to watch the stock market just a little bit more closely. Why? Because what happens corporately at Apple now affects you personally. And that's exactly what Jesus is suggesting here. Here's what he's saying. Money leads, hearts follow. So what Jesus is suggesting is if you want to really know where your heart is, just take an inventory of your visa statements, your credit card statements, your bank accounts, your receipts, and you'll discover all of a sudden where your heart really lies. So Jesus wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in our spiritual maturity. And there's another aspect of this, which brings us to our fourth value this morning, which we simply call emotionally healthy relationships. Now, this is a big statement in our vision. So I want to unpack this a little bit for us this morning because it's really, really important we understand what this is. Just because a person grows up physically does not guarantee that he or she is growing up emotionally. And what emotional maturity is all about is it's all about moving from emotional infancy 
to becoming an emotionally responsible adult. And listen, this is how this works. Emotionally healthy relationships begin with emotionally healthy individuals. So if we are not growing up and becoming emotionally responsible adults, taking responsibility for our own lives, our own hearts, our own emotions, and dealing with them in a way that is honorable to God, what ends up happening is we, be, we remain stunted in our growth spiritually, and it affects our interpersonal relationships. So when we talk about emotionally healthy, we're talking about an individual that is choosing to have authentic maturity in their relationship with God, their relationship with themselves, and their relationship with one another. It is about learning how to be God's child, living within the context of God's family. And here's what that means for many of us. It means that we are going to have to unlearn some learned behaviors from our family of origin. So many of us in this auditorium did not grow up in a family in a home where we learned how to do conflict in a healthy way. In my family, we yelled our way to resolution, and that typically didn't work. Some of us here did not learn, we did not grow up in a family that gave us permission to disagree agreeably, and we never had the opportunity to state how we were feeling about something in our family. There was no right to do it. Many of us never had permission. We didn't learn how to grieve losses well. We ignored them. We minimized them. We acted as though they weren't significant. And most of us here were not in a family where we got to unpack the myriad of emotions that we go through as children, as young adults, as teenagers, and into our young adulthood. We just didn't have a safe place to do that. And so what often happens is we bottle those things up, we stuff those things, we minimize those things, we act as though they're not significant, when at the end of the day, all of those pent-up emotions are informing the way we're interacting with God, the way we're understanding ourselves, and the way we're having relationship with one another. So in a nutshell, when we talk about emotional health, here's what we're suggesting. We're suggesting that it is a person that is becoming fully self-aware so that they can become more God-aware. It is a person that is becoming more honest and vulnerable and transparent with God and then with others in a way that brings glory to God. So in the beginning of time when God created man and woman, here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. This is not simply talking about physical. This is also talking about emotional. They were exposed and they were vulnerable and yet they felt safe and they felt secure. The real person was fully known and yet they did not push back and they did not feel fear or shame because of it. I think the underlying premise of emotional health really ties into the previous value of spiritual maturity. Because here's the underlying premise of becoming more emotionally healthy. It is impossible to become spiritually mature 
while remaining emotionally immature. It's not possible. We tend to compartmentalize those two things as though I can be spiritual here and I can be emotional here. No, listen, they're all integrated. They're all part of our whole being and they all matter to God. Just read the Psalms. David is going deep in the Psalms. He is unpacking things that are happening deep in his heart that he's feeling and he's bringing those things to God. So on my sabbatical two and a half years ago, a verse that God, a passage God really used to speak to me was Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, verse, 50, verse 6, here's what it says. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you, make, you will make me know wisdom. You desire truth in the innermost being. So think of this as a jug. And think of your life as the summation of everything that is contained within this jug. And here's what, here's what happens in our lives. The emotional things that we go through get buried deep within our hearts. And we don't want to deal with them. We don't want to think about them. We don't want to talk about them. And buried within that are all these different emotions, fear and anxiety, anger, doubts, sadness. They're all buried. And also there is, there's happiness and gladness and joy and all of the good things that come, but they're all there as well. And the reality is what God wants to do is God wants to begin to move into those areas. He wants to go to the innermost being of our lives, to the place that is most buried, and God wants to help bring those things out so that they can inform how we identify and connect to God and how we identify and connect to one another. And you know what happens when we don't deal with this? When we leave the junk at the bottom of the jug, when we don't deal well with the internal world and the inner world, it spills out into our outer world through all sorts of ugly things. Dirty fighting, contempt, sarcasm, uncontrolled anger, unresolved issues. And you know what? So much of it points back to stuff that's going on inside of our hearts that God desperately wants to get to. And so here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put childish ways behind me. Now, I think if we're honest with ourselves, many of us probably still have these knee-jerk reactions at times that aren't very mature. And we wonder, where does that come from? It comes from not surrendering our emotional heart and our emotional health and becoming healthier, dealing with the dirty stuff in our hearts so that God can make us healthier in our interpersonal relationships. And we believe this is really important to God because as we as God's children learn how to do relationship with God's family, what we've got to be careful of is that we tend to want to bring all of that family of origin behavior stuff into our interpersonal relationships. We do it in our physical families as well. And it creates all sorts of chaos. And so here's what the Lord encouraged us to do in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 22. With regard to your former way of life, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. 
be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, now watch this, therefore, each of you must put off what? Falsehood. That begins with not lying to ourselves. That begins with being honest about what's going on in the deepest parts of the heart. Therefore, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 4. We will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So the bottom line is this. This guiding value for us is really important. It begins with becoming both more spiritually mature, but then letting that spiritual maturity kind of inform our emotional maturity and vice versa, allowing what's going on inside of us emotionally to help us become more spiritually mature and allowing that to inform our interpersonal relationships. Our fifth guiding value actually stems right out of this, because the Bible here talks about us doing this, and then we become what? One. That we are members of one body. Our fifth guiding value is what we just simply call oneness in Christ. Oneness in Christ. Now, the the New Testament was penned largely in a culture and a context of ranked race and graded ethnicities. So it it was graded and people were evaluated based largely on their culture, their ethnicity, or their race. And Jesus comes along and Jesus is all about bringing together people who don't look alike, people who aren't from different People are from different walks of life, different places in life, different cultures. And he's all about saying oneness is what matters. And both Jesus and all the authors of the New Testament in their writings are actually speaking about oneness, this big idea, as something that is both counterintuitive and countercultural. In other words, we don't naturally think oneness. And the culture around us does not celebrate oneness. And so why does Jesus lift it up? Why does the authors of the New Testament talk so often about this idea of we are one? It's because it's kingdom. And it's because it is at the very heart of what God desires for his family. When you hear the word oneness, please don't think sameness. That's not what we're talking about. We are not talking about pretending that we have no differences. Rather, we are talking about acknowledging our differences in the context of grace and acceptance. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Last weekend, my wife and I celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary. Isn't that crazy? 33 years. And so we celebrated last weekend... And when we got married 33 years ago, and we said yes to one another, we said, I will. According to scripture, we became one flesh. And can you imagine every single time 
that my wife disagreed with me if I just stopped her and reminded her, hey, we are one. You have no way to disagree. You have no right to have a difference of opinion right now because we are one. How do you think that'd go over? Let me just tell you, don't try it because I have been there, done that, have a t-shirt to show you for it, have some scar tissue. It doesn't work. It's not about us thinking alike about everything, and it's not about us always feeling the same about everything, but what it is about is accepting our differences in the context of grace and safety. So here's how Jesus prayed it in John chapter 17. Jesus said the goal, this is big, the goal. This is what he had in mind. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world, result, then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be unified and together as we are. I and them, you and me, then they'll be mature in this oneness. How do we become mature in our oneness? I think we become mature in our oneness by celebrating our diversity and our differences and by seeing them as a strength and not as a weakness. I think we become mature when we celebrate our unity within diversity, not uniformity, unity within diversity. We become mature as we bring God into this and we recognize that our differences are about making us better and about making us stronger and ultimately about telling the world that what we have is actually authentic and legitimate and worthy of consideration. One of the greatest testimonies that we have to our community is the diversity of our church is that as God makes us more diverse culturally and ethnically, and we have more celebration of our minorities, what God will begin to do is God's going to begin to say to the world, listen, what's going on out there is not the way God wants it to be. This is an example of the way it ought to be. I think we also mature in our oneness by listening to and learning from those whose cultures are completely unlike ours. Let me tell you the highlight of our Christmas this year. The highlight of our Christmas was Christmas Day. And we had a lot of family highlights and wonderful things, but, but Christmas Day's highlight for me was we were going to be by ourselves, Kelly and I, and we were going to have and did have a young university student, a young lady from Iran who joined us for Christmas Day. Her mom was in town. We invited both of them to come and join us at the Christmas table. And what I loved about that experience of having a Christmas celebration with these two individuals is what I was able to listen to and what I was able to learn. So as we sat down, as we began to, to, to prepare to eat, I said, I would like, if it's okay, to offer thanks to God for our meal. Would that be okay? And they said, sure. And so I did. I offered a prayer. And at the end of it, we said to them, would you like to pray in Farsi? And they offered a prayer in Farsi. And we listened and we learned. 
and we heard more about their culture and more about their life. Because let me tell you, what I think God wants more than anything else is for us to recognize that we are better and stronger together than we are alone. We are by ourselves. The enemy wants to divide. God wants to connect. He wants to bring us together. So here's what it says in Galatians. Chapter 3, verse 28. Faith in Christ Jesus is what makes you makes each of you equal with each other. Whether you are a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free person, a man or a woman. Makes no difference. Oneness is all about the fact that we become one new humanity, one new person, one new body through Jesus Christ. And it is a game changer to the world. So we believe our guiding value is that God wants this church to become stronger in our oneness in Christ. And then our final guiding value this morning is one that is somewhat self-explanatory. It is enthusiastic involvement. That just simply means that, that we believe, because Scripture teaches it, that God wants us to enthusiastically be engaged and involved in the work of God's kingdom. That the body of Christ and the kingdom of God is not built on spectators, it is built on participants. It is built on people who get in the game, who become part of what God is doing, and say, I want to become a stakeholder in the work of God's kingdom. It is about being an all-in person that enthusiastically wraps our arms around the vision, mission, and values and says, this is not just about a corporation, an organization, a church. It is about me because I'm the church, and I want to help own I want to help be a part of this. So there are three quick scriptures I want to give you this morning, and then we're going to wrap up this morning by way of response. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm. As to the Lord and not for people, because you know that you will receive your inheritance from the Lord as your reward. Serve the Lord Christ. Let's go to our next one. Ephesians 6, 7 through 8. Work with enthusiasm, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each of you, each one of you, for the good that you do. And finally, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. What brings God the most pleasure is a body of people that are fully submitted and fully surrendered to Jesus Christ and to what that means of becoming a fully surrendered follower of Christ. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.